Hello, and welcome to the Keepers of the Flame podcast. This is a show to shine a light into the darkness, to empower women, their support networks, and our communities to weather breast cancer, because together we weather the storm. But on this ocean, every wave brings you closer to home. And no matter what you think, you are never. Hello and welcome back to Keepers of the Flame podcast. I'm Joyce Williams, your host, and this is episode number 32, Survivor Series. Today we have our third of the Survivor Series that we've been working on with Andrea Harris. When I was first diagnosed, as I've mentioned before, it was talking to and hearing from other women who had been there and done that that helped spark some hope. Because even though our stories and our cancers and our treatments through them and our entire journeys were unique to ourselves, the more people that I heard from who had been there, who had done that, and who had sailed through that stormy, stormy sea and had made it through to the other side, the more of these stories that I heard, when they combined with the next, it just made me feel like I was less alone and like I too could make it. So, Keepers of the Flame podcast, we have this Survivor Series that we are bringing to you. We're going to have them sprinkled throughout the Keepers of the Flame podcast series. Let these women, let their voices and let their stories be heard to shine a light on this disease, to promote education, awareness, and to spread about that ever, ever so important light of hope. And let's keep pushing forward because together we weather the storm. Today, we have with us survivor Andrea Harris. Andrea and I met through Komen, the Komen Coastal Georgia affiliate, wanted to help women who were currently fighting breast cancer, that they were currently going through their treatments. So they asked if I'd be their survivor ambassador And through my volunteer work with Komen, Andrea was connected with me. I'm very excited to have her here with us to share a little bit about her story and how she was able to make it through her own journey and the kind of support that was critical in helping her get there. Welcome. We are so happy to have you here with us today. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You are one of our survivors here on the Survivor Series. How old were you when you were diagnosed? I was 49, four weeks to the day before my 50th birthday. And how long have you been no evidence of disease? Uh, For a year now. I just passed my year mark. Yeah, I know. It was a big, big hurdle. It seems really daunting, right? When you first set out on this journey, you're like, I'm never going to make it through. And then when you look back, you're like, it's been a year? Right. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Now, tell us, how did you you find your cancer? Uh, Just my annual mammogram. I went in and got a phone call back, and they said, we need you to come back in. And I went in for a second mammogram. When I went in for that second mammogram, the girl told me, she said, well, they found some calcifications on your mammogram. And I thought to myself, oh, calcifications, everybody has those. It's not that big of a deal. So I texted my husband. I said, you don't need to come. I, you know, they're just going to yeah. do another mammogram. I had no idea that it would turn out to be When cancer. you went, did they do another mammogram or did they do an yes. ultrasound? No, they did another mammogram. 
and he showed it to me and he said, I want to biopsy this because this is new from last year and uh, we want to make sure. That they know exactly what they're dealing with right. at that point in time. Right. What were your first thoughts that went through your mind at that moment in time? That it could actually be breast cancer. And I thought, this is this can't be happening to me right now. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm too young <laughs> yeah. for this. It hits like shock. Like, it, wait, wait, hang on, you're talking to me? Wait, right. what's going on here? Right. I've never had an abnormal mammogram. I'm never sick. This is not right. This can't be happening. So when they finally gave you the call and confirmed that, yes, this is in fact cancer, what emotions did you have on that initial diagnosis? Well, so I was on the phone and, you know, I was I was writing everything down that he said. And so I was listening to what he was saying, trying to write it down. And then, of course, as soon as I hung up, I just broke down right. because it was real and it was, in fact, happening. And he was already telling me how he was going to contact a surgeon for me. And we talked about who that would be. And, and I thought, oh, my God, you know, yeah, this, like, is, this is rolling. This is going. And, and right. you're like, well, hang on, I'm, I'm digesting and trying right. to figure things out. And right, right. And we, in that moment, you just everything just stands still. Yeah. And you try to process it, but I, I couldn't, I didn't know how to process it. I, I, I said this before. I don't think that there's anything that can really prepare you for that initial moment. No, there's nothing. It just happens and you feel what you feel. Yeah. And I think that's going to be key though, for people to know you feel what you feel mm-hmm. and know that you're not doing something wrong or processing wrong. You just feel what you feel and work through it. Right. And you said that you were kind of like, I'm going to get this done. What is the information that mm-hmm, I need? Let mm-hmm. me gather information. I've heard a lot right. of people say that too. Mm-hmm, at, yeah. at some point in time, they kind of push their, their emotions. Okay, you got to go to the side for just a second because I got to hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, when it hits, it hits hard and mm-hmm. it's just this flood. Right. I found out for me when I had to make all those phone calls um, in between my diagnosis and my surgery, you know, I could make it through the phone call and then I would hang up and I would just you know, the flood of emotions. And then I would gather them all up and then make the next phone call. Right. And that was hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to um, deal with that. And, you know, the fact that you're about to have major surgery. <laughs> right, right. It's a lot to take in. Yeah. It's a lot to yeah. take in. And you feel like you have to keep stepping forward. And so to do that, you feel like you have to put the emotions right. to the side. But I like what you said a moment ago. You just feel whatever you're going to feel. Yeah. And then you just inchworm your way along through that moment. Mm-hmm. Now, you reached out to Susan G. Komen Coastal <laughs> Georgia at some point. When did you reach out to them? I want to say it was mid-January, so the early into my radiation treatment, because I had had some time in between my surgery before my radiation started, and the holidays were coming up. So I had other things to think about. But then once that radiation started and you're going every day and you're on the table and you're exposed and all these emotions and I cry all the way home. I would drop my children off at school and cry on the way to radiation. It was just... You had reached your max of stuffing it away and it just... They're here and now you have to, you're forced to have to deal with the emotions. Right. And I was able to control them a month before when I had to, but I was not able to control them like I wanted to. Mm -hmm. It was just a flood of emotions. And so naturally (laughs) I thought there's something wrong and you need to figure out what's going on here. Because when I was diagnosed, I reached out to as many friends and even my sister who had been diagnosed and nobody ever said anything like, 
know, this is going to be a very emotional time for you. It mm-hmm. was all about the surgery and the radiation and the recovery and this and that. And so I thought that it was just me. And, you know, I wanted to present to everyone a very strong and positive person. But when I found myself so upset, mm-hmm. I thought, okay, something is wrong with you. You've got to fix it. So I called them. I didn't know who to call anymore. You know, I had had talked to as many people as I knew. And so that's when they gave me your contact information. Yes. And I'm, I know that I'm very glad that they did. What, what went through your mind when you, I know that, I know that that has to be hard to pick up the phone to call to say, please help me. I need to talk to somebody. Like, I know that takes a lot of courage to Mm -hmm. even pick up that phone in the first place. But once they um, connected us, how did you feel at that juncture in time? Well, it took me all day to call you because <laughs> yeah. I called them in the morning. And just like you said, I didn't want to call a stranger and yeah. I wasn't comfortable with that. But at the same time, I knew I, I needed to talk to somebody. And so when I called and you picked up the phone and you were putting into words all of my feelings and my thoughts that I had not been able to express myself. And I, I kept saying, yes, yes, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so... I hung up the phone and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, I, I feel better about myself now because I'm not going crazy. This is a normal yeah. part of the process. There's a weight that comes off of our shoulders when oh, we definitely. realize that we're not alone, that this right. is also part of the journey. Mm-hmm. It sucks and it doesn't make mm-hmm. it any easier, mm-hmm. but at least you feel like you're less alone knowing that you're not doing it wrong, that this right. is part of it. Right. It, it's difficult, but... Believe me, it has been a learning experience for me too, because in the beginning, I used to think that I wanted to show my kids how you can make it through something really hard. Mm -hmm. And I thought to do that meant that I had to stand strong and positive the whole darn time. Right. And what I've learned is you can't expect that of yourself. Mm -hmm. You're going to just set yourself up for failure because... Because we all fall at some point in time or another. And that fall is so incredibly unpleasant. It is. But it's not It's not about avoiding the fall as much as it is learning how to rise up right. afterwards. I think that's also a good lesson for your children to learn as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, gosh, you know, there was that one time I saw my mother get really upset. But, you know, she was okay after that. Exactly. And, but... In the moment, I, I didn't see it that way. It's Well, you know what? I didn't either. <laughs> it took yeah. me a long time to get there myself, too. Mm-hmm. But I remember, t- I remember telling you on the phone, because a lot of the things that I was hearing you say were things that I, too, had felt. That, right. oh, yeah, I used to think that that's how it was done. And mm-hmm. what I'm realizing is that our emotions are going to be a part of us. We have to process through them. Right. right. And that, that was definitely a life lesson that I have learned through this whole mm-hmm, process. Mm-hmm. But it's scary because there's nobody in that process to help you through that. Your All of your doctors are by your side helping you through that. And all of the nurses and technicians, they're all there. But, but nobody really has a, a hand on the emotional part. Yeah. And so... That's why I tell everybody at the very beginning, when you find out that you mm-hmm. have cancer, right. you need to find somebody to talk to. Go right. get yourself a therapist. Do mm-hmm. the research. Because that's also something that you can control in that moment. Mm-hmm. You can do the research and you can find somebody so that that space is set and available for you mm-hmm. should you need it. And and I remember telling you, telling you on the phone when we talked... Because you're trying to deny your emotions. You're like, but I'm not allowed to feel that way. Like I should, And like kind of sealing yourself up, even though what was going on in the inside wasn't necessarily matching the exterior. And I remember telling you, 
you're entitled to feel however you feel whenever the hell you feel. <laughs> yes, you did. And I, you're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> yes, because as moms, I too think I think that sometimes we feel like we have to we have to take care of everybody else. And then right. sometimes we don't realize that we're not going to always have it together. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Now, what kind of treatment did you end up having? You said you had surgery. What? Tell mm-hmm. us about the surgery. I had a lumpectomy. They removed a golf ball size amount of tissue. And then I guess about six weeks later, I started radiation and I had 22 treatments. So every day for every 20 day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the treatments last about 15 minutes mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's not, you know, it's not long. It, it doesn't hurt or anything. It's just having to go there every day and getting on that table exposed. And I think there was an they, emotional element to that that hit me too. Yeah. And listen, these people are just, they're so professional and the men and women who were back there, and they couldn't have been nicer, but there's still something going through your head when you're when you're on that yeah. table. So It's scary. Yeah. Because you have that whole time to be sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, I hate that I'm here. I hate that why right. I'm here. Exactly. And everything, everything that's led you to that moment mm-hmm. of being there kind of mm-hmm. takes you off because you don't want to be there. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what were some side effects from treatment? From the radiation? Mm-hmm. Oh, well the skin damage for sure. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, that started to clear up. I can still see an outline on my skin now Mm -hmm. and I have breast tenderness Mm -hmm. still from it. Now, did you ever get feeling really tired? So, okay. (laughs) I did at the end, but not until that last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And I I really just didn't have a whole lot of energy at the end of the day. Yeah. But I made sure that I did some form of exercise every day and really tried to take care of myself. Self-care but- is so huge. So tell us about self-care. Because I know when I know when I first started going to therapy, she would talk about this whole new concept of self-care. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah. I didn't understand. <laughs> I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so tell us, what is what was self care well, for I, you? I, yeah, well, for me, because I mean, I don't, I, I'm still working through that, you know, trying to take care of yourself, just, you know, eating right. And, you know, if I wanted a brownie, I would have a brownie or a mm-hmm. bowl of ice cream. I would not deny that. Right. I think it's the daily exercise. Mm-hmm. I wish I could sleep better. That was yeah. a hard part of it, too, is the sleeping. I don't sleep through the night real well. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and for me, the sleeping part too, because if I would, I would roll over and this was towards the end. I was very blessed. How, how these treatments affect everybody is different from one person to the next. Like Mm -hmm. as far as as fatigue went, chemo had me feeling more run down than the radiation did. And some Mm -hmm. women say it's the flip. Like Mm -hmm. it just, you know, it's, it's different from one person to the next. And for radiation, I was very blessed that I had some skin changes, Mm -hmm. but it didn't really hit me to looking bad until like very end. Mm -hmm. At that point, I didn't care because I was already done. It just had to heal. Right. But that period of time, those few days when, um, when it was at its worst, Mm -hmm. rolling over in the bed, it would stretch and pull Mm -hmm. that skin in a way that just, mm -mm. So the, okay, another part of that, I was diligent about, I would come home from my treatment and I would put the aloe on. I did try to take care of my skin as best I could. It's going to do what it's, it's, I mean, <laughs> you're having the treatment for a reason. It's it's doing what it's supposed to do for mm-hmm. that tissue, for the those cells to try to right. protect you right. in the long run. And in the process, mm-hmm. it's showing you what it's doing right. by right. hitting the other, yeah. other pieces yeah. of your. And so I would do that several times a day. Yeah. 
looking at the journey, your mm-hmm. journey as a whole, what would you say is perhaps the biggest challenge and then maybe also even the biggest life lesson? Well, I think the biggest challenge for me is going through this whole process and having life still go on, having children to raise and having a husband who has been very loving the entire time. And I mean, I couldn't have made it without him, but still having life go on. Right. And I also have a mother who has dementia and it's been a big year of changes with her. And so for me, the hardest part was to deal with everything. It's not like you can just get through this. Right. This is all you're dealing with. It's You can't it's, tunnel vision your way through <clears throat> this one thing. Right. There's, life is happening. Life is still happening around yeah. you and you've got to be a part of it. Right. That's sometimes I, harder than other times. Yeah. But. I think I had some moments where uh, I had to haul my butt on into school because something mm-hmm. would happen and mama still has to be mama and right. protect babies, right? Okay. So I'm trying to deal with, you know, there's school projects or there's mm-hmm. homework or when this event happened and I had to go into school to deal with that. I remember like having a huge meltdown over it. And I remember my aunt telling me, well, she actually told my mom that this was perhaps a blessing in disguise that maybe I don't realize at this moment in time because it was forcing me to focus on something other than what I was going through. It was all about buttons. And so we had this whole um, running joke that we started of people will say, don't sweat the small stuff. Mm -hmm. It became like, don't worry about the buttons. buttons. (laughs) It's just life. It's just buttons. Right. Right. And so like my aunt, she made me a a hat because I had chemo. She made me a hat and it had like my grandmother's buttons sewn all over and everything. So we just buttons kind of became our staple of for all that other stuff that's going on, all Mm -hmm. that life stuff that Mm -hmm. it matters and it's important. Right. But it's also not cancer Mm -hmm. to kind of put it into perspective and remember that this is a good thing. I am living. I am moving on. Right. But to kind of keep yourself in check and and not go Mm -hmm. off the deep end of that overwhelmingness Mm -hmm. and remembering what's buttons and what's not. Mm -hmm. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What would you say was your biggest fear and then your biggest hope? Oh, well, my biggest fear was my life won't be as long as I once thought it would be. I think that crosses everybody's mind at some point in time. You hear the word cancer. It doesn't matter what stage. It doesn't matter what your diagnosis is. When somebody looks at you and Mm -hmm. says, you have cancer, Mm -hmm. that thought of, Mm -hmm. am I going to die, comes into everybody's mind. I mean, you just kind of see the end of your life like right here instead of far away. It's not, it's not like some abstract thing off in the distance for some land. It's like suddenly something that's tangible. It could be a lot closer. And you're like, well, hey, I don't want to touch that. Right. Let's push that further out. Yeah. Yeah. So that's your biggest fear. What would would be your biggest hope? My biggest hope, of course, is for a cure. And with that also, I think some causes, because if they're environmental, you know, it would be great to get the word out to younger girls what they can do now to prevent it. I mean, if I had known something in my 20s that, you know, don't eat that or do this. I mean, Mm -hmm. I always thought that I ate pretty healthy and I've always Mm -hmm. exercised. 
I think there's a couple of things to remember here. One is that it's not your fault. You know, smoke, smoking causes lung cancer, right? We know that. We didn't cause this for ourselves. So let's not have some self-blame there for, well, if I would have done this differently, then this wouldn't have happened. We didn't cause it. But that on the same token, recognizing there is a field of science out there. It's called epigenetics. And we'll talk more about that in another episode. But in a nutshell, it's basically you have your DNA and it gets wrapped around proteins and they all kind of condense together to make a chromosome, right? And so they did back in the late 90s, 2000, I think is when they finished the Human Genome Project where they mapped out the human DNA, what all the genes are. And we now know like that these genes are on this chromosome and so forth and you know, whatever. Epigenetics, they're working on a human epigenome project right now, which is basically when this DNA folds around these proteins, it tells certain genes to get turned on and other ones to get turned off. So you have the same DNA in a skin cell that you have in a liver cell that you have in, on all of your cells. It's the same DNA sequence, mm-hmm. but those cells look different and they function different. And the why is because of how they interact with the proteins and what genes are turned on and off. I like to think about it as DNA's the blueprint for the house and then your, your epigenetics or how, how they how they work with the proteins and stuff is basically well, what lights in the house are on and off. The blueprint doesn't tell you that epigenetics Mm -hmm. does. So that's like this cutting edge science that's going on right now. It's like, well, within epigenetics, like what is it that causes this gene to get turned on and this one to get turned off? So if you take a look at cancer, for example, Uh what causes the gene that suppresses tumor growth to get turned off? Uh Why does it get turned off in this person and not in that person? Uh You know, kind of thing. And so that's another layer to the the onion. Uh Uh We'll we'll talk more about that in another episode. (laughs) But but there is some cool some cool science that's out there. Yeah, yeah, that's great to know. But yeah, I think getting getting involved and finding passion in something that you can do to push forward for change after having gone through something, I think, is huge. Right. Yeah, I agree. Okay, so basically finding a cure and then finding, well, what are some things that might cause cancer to try to avoid? And then also trying to figure out how to push forward and get involved and make something good come from something bad. Exactly. That's, I like that. That's a good point. Let's circle back to self-care. You said making sure that you were, you had your aloe on and Mm -hmm. that you were exercising. What would you say was the single most important self-care thing that you did for yourself? By not doing anything for anyone else. (laughs) Taking (laughs) a time out. (laughs) Yeah, it's very selfish, but I really didn't make any plans to do anything extra. Mm -hmm. It was actually a good time of year for that. It was in January, so there's, you know, not a lot going on. But I didn't feel compelled to reach out and do anything extra that would take me out of the house. Right. You could focus on you and healing Mm -hmm. and not... Filling up your calendar with gottas. Exactly. Or oughtas. I gotta do this. I oughta do that. I should. I right. need to. I and should it do was this. just red X. Uh, yeah. Gonna. So I really had a clear calendar, and I think that's important. Yeah. To just. Because you, know, you, you can know. have some quiet time and. 
That's good too. <laughs> to, yes, to carve out this me time. Right. Where nothing has to get thrown into this space. It's right. just let it go. Right. It's not mm-hmm. as, it doesn't have to happen right now. Mm-hmm. It can mm-hmm. wait. Right. I think for me, two things, you hit on exercising. I think exercising helped give me energy. Mm-hmm. And then I don't know what I would have done if I did not enter therapy when and how (laughs) I did. Like, I feel like I have grown so much from having gone and been there and recognizing that some of the stuff we talked about at the beginning about it's okay if I'm not always okay. That has been huge. Such a simple sentence. Mm -hmm. And I'm not always great at accepting it in the moment, (laughs) but I'm better at accepting it when I'm reflecting, when I'm reflecting back. Right. Mm -hmm. And then also recognizing that when I fall, that doesn't have to define me Mm -hmm. or own me. Mm -hmm. When I experience negative things or I'm feeling negative emotions, they may be part of me, but they don't have to define me either. And I used to think that I could take a little melon baller and carve them (laughs) off of me. Like, okay, (laughs) let's lasso all this negative stuff and Mm -hmm. shove it to the dump Mm because I don't want it. Mm -hmm. But I have that, that next added layer of learning that it's going to be there. I can't take it away from Mm -hmm. me or my story or part of who I am, but I am not that alone either. Right. And recognizing that I don't have to discard it and take it to the dump Mm -hmm. and I don't have to own it as being Being me. me. I Mm -hmm. am that plus all of this other stuff. Right. And getting to the point where I not only know that because I've been told that, but then actually owning and accepting that. It's not something that just happened like that. It right. took oh, yeah. time. <laughs> it took time. Yeah, it does. It really does. And for me, a hard part for me is just expressing my feelings because it's not easy for me to talk about yeah. how I'm feeling and it's hard for me to verbalize it sometimes, but I think that it's it's great to have a safe place to be able to do that with no judgment and to have somebody help you work through that. Right. I know that it it has helped me immensely, and that's on my top ticket item of recommendations for anybody listening, is to Mm -hmm. find find yourself your people and process through, because as we said before, this emotional element to healing Mm -hmm. is just as real, Mm -hmm. and it's just as hard, Mm -hmm. and you don't need to do that alone either. Right. What is the best kind of support that you were given? My husband. I mean, he was right by my side, is right by my side, and he makes me laugh, which there were times I didn't want to. Right. But it's also good for you if you can find that. He's been incredible. And my family has been there, and my friends. Mm-hmm. Friends from long ago who came out of the woodwork, and that was overwhelming to have. In a good way. Uh-huh. In a, a wonderful way. To have people reach out to me who I didn't expect at all. You feel the love. You feel the support. You know that you're not alone. Yeah. And when you go through this, you realize and you know who's there. Yeah. And who is supporting you. And it means a lot. Again, I can't express. I have a hard time expressing how much that means to have the love and support. So let's talk about that for just a minute. I've heard this time and time again, that friends and family sometimes, that they they really want to help, but they don't always know what to do. Mm-hmm. So ripping that out and let's lay it out there, mm-hmm. things that are helpful. So if any friends or family are listening mm-hmm. and, they're, and they know somebody that's going through this and they want to be there, what are some what are some things that were done for you that were helpful? Oh gosh, well, after surgery, I, I didn't cook a meal for a long time. 
friends showed up with food and flowers and cards and text messages. The simple text message that would come randomly from somebody, hey, how you doing? Just checking in. Mm-hmm. And that means a lot. Just I to know that people didn't forget. Yeah. I think that's key for the friends and family out there listening mm-hmm. to know is that it doesn't have to follow some set script. It doesn't right. have to be a particular item exactly. off of this list. It just needs to be presence, mm-hmm. letting them know that you are there. Right. And just recently, I've had a couple of friends reach out to me and they're like, well, how are you doing? And I had one girlfriend call and say, you just popped into my head. It means a lot. And that, you know, that didn't take a long time just to send somebody a text. Because I think sometimes you feel like, oh, I have to do this and this and this. And that can be overwhelming for anybody. Right. But just a, a simple, hey, how you doing? Makes all the difference in the world. It really does. Now, sometimes people will say things that are not so helpful mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. They, they're they kind of hurtful, mm-hmm. like so-and-so down the street, they had cancer. Oh, they didn't make it. Mm-hmm. So what are some what are some things that you've heard that were not necessarily helpful? Well, I know this came from her heart because <laughs> she's a good person, but I had just finished my radiation and I have some comment, you know, well, it's, it's living with it for the rest of my life. And she looked at me and she said, well, you can't live in fear for the rest of your life. We never know when we're going to die. And I just, I clammed up because I, I thought, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah. You've never heard those words. So you don't know what it's like. And it's not like I'm living in fear every day of my life. It's mm-hmm. not like that. But it is something that I think about. I mean, your life changes mm-hmm. and you have to make lifestyle changes. And that's not easy. And mm-hmm. that's part of the equation. And So you do think about it, and there is this element of fear. Mm -hmm. Oh, fear and I, we are tight. Yeah, I got fear down. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. no, I I used to think before I was diagnosed, I had this whole outlook of, because it's true, we can't, we don't know when we're going to die. It could be cancer, it could be a car accident, and I have said these things, and I know them, right? It took on a different meaning prior to cancer. I will still say those things, and I still know those things, but when I internalize it, I internalize it differently now because of what I've heard, because of what I've been through. Mm-hmm. You know, like before, it would I could say those things, but with that whole idea of, well, if and when my time comes, it being an abstract idea. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm saying the same things, and I still believe them. Like, they are true. I mm-hmm. don't know when I'm going to die, and right. I cannot live in fear. I get right. that. I know right. that. I own right. that. Right. But then on top of that, it's like, but I have had a level of fear that was so intense mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I, it's hard to put into words how that changes you, mm-hmm. but it, it does. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So what would you rather, what are some things that you'd rather hear instead? I think instead it would be great if somebody said, I know it's on your mind a lot and I can't imagine what that's like. But I'm here to listen. If you ever want to talk, call me up. I think that's important too is that when people can can admit and say, hey, I don't have the answers. I wish I did. Mm -hmm. And I wish there was a quick easy button. I keep asking for one (laughs) for the easy button. People don't have that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm trying. (laughs) All right, anybody creates this easy button, send it my way. <laughs> but until then, like having people say that, 
hey, I may not have that easy button. I may not have all the answers, Mm -hmm. but I am here and I will sit with Mm -hmm. you through this. Right. I am here. Mm -hmm. And just Mm -hmm. letting that presence be known. Mm -hmm. How did your diagnosis affect your family dynamic? And then what advice might you have for women to navigate through that? So my husband was awesome. He supported me from the very beginning and held me when I needed it and loved me and, like I said earlier, made me laugh at other times. My children, they seemed to take the news okay. There were times when uh, my younger son got upset, but you put on that brave face and you say, it's going to be okay, you know, even though it's eating you up inside, Mm -hmm. uh, you still feel like you need to have that brave face for them and, and let them know that all is okay. But I think also part of it, I think it would be good to let them see you stumble and maybe cry here and there or be upset or be mad about it so that they can see how you can overcome that and move on because there will be times in their lives when they need to do that. Or maybe, maybe they're hiding their feelings from you because they don't want to upset you. But maybe if they see that it's okay. It's human to have emotions. It's. Exactly. And it's part of who I am. Right. I'm just an emotional person. Yeah. My children are too. So, Well, yeah. And I think that goes back to what we were saying before is like, it's okay to feel however you feel and to teach that to our kids. You can feel however you feel and moms get sad. Moms get mad. Mm -hmm. And it's how we handle it and what we do from there. Exactly. But knowing, because I didn't want my kids to think that if they, God forbid, they have to go through this or even if it's not this, if it's something difficult in their life, I didn't want them to think that if they ever felt that thud and felt really low or felt these negative emotions, I didn't want them to think that they were doing something wrong. Right, right. Or that they can't do it. My mom could do it because she was so strong and so brave all the time. I'm not her. I'm clearly Mm -hmm. feeling this. Well, honey, your mama felt all those things too. Mm -hmm. It's part Mm -hmm. of it. Right. Survivorhood. What are some of these untold truths that people may go through or think or experience um, once they cross that threshold into survivorhood? So, you know, you have all these emotions when you're you're going through it. And then, for instance, I just passed my one-year mark, and, you know, you think you should be happy. And, of course, I am happy, but it's also been emotional for me to get over that hurdle because, let's face it, it's life-changing. So no matter what, you still go on with some of these feelings, although they're not as intense. I right. have to say, I never thought I'd say that. But they're still there. Yeah. It's life altering and it it is the new norm. The new norm. Mm -hmm. You know, I like that you said that you never thought that you'd get there with them not being as intense because that there is a lot of truth in that. We think, oh my gosh, it's going to be like this forever. (laughs) I've I've spoken with women who are like 19 year survivors and Mm -hmm. they've said too that whenever they go in for their mammogram or they go in for their doctor's check that they too get a little nervous yeah you know it's not I mean not to say that intensity will last forever because like like you said it does lessen and it gets Mm -hmm. easier to cope with and deal but there is a new normal and if you are getting a little a little anxious whenever Mm -hmm. you have to go that doesn't make you some crazy oddball that's part of it it's just because you've experienced this and you've lived through that and so yes that's just going to change how you approach your mammograms and i like to think too that the fear that you may have it's not out to hurt you i've talked about this before it's out to try to protect you your fear knowing what 
what you've been through before. That fear is trying to say, hey, last time you went here, this happened Mm -hmm. to you. And the reason why it's doing that is because it's trying to be like, oh, it might be unsafe in there, you know, whereas the logical part of your brain, you can reason that, okay, well, yes, but I am in a different, I love this line, got this from therapy, it's not my own, (laughs) Um, that you might be in the same place, but you're in a different space and time. Right. And kind of trying to calm that fear down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If it's there, you're not alone. It happens to us all. But learning those strategies to cope and to deal and to continue going to the doctor, that's that's courage. And Mm -hmm. that is pushing yourself more and more towards healing. Similar thing just happened to me last week and I was at the surgical center and I saw this strip in the hallway and it triggered in my memory the day that I went back for the needle localization and the poor young boy who was pushing my wheelchair couldn't get me over it. And it took several times to get over that hump. And I saw it and I just, I welled up with tears and my husband looked at me and he said, listen, I said, I'm sorry, I haven't been here since my surgery. And he said, but listen, you got to think of it. The last time you were here, they, they removed this, the cancer from your body. Right. So that's a good thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's learning that shift in perspective. Right. And that, that's part of healing yeah. is, is doing that. And, and it's going to take time. And every yeah. time, I know I've been told this, and I have been a slow learner, believe me. <laughs> but every time we go, it loses a little bit of that intensity mm-hmm. over us. Mm-hmm. So what would you like the next generation of young girls growing into women to know about breast cancer? Well, I guess that you really don't have to have family history for it to affect you or anyone in your family. Yeah, one out of eight. So you need to be vigilant. You need you to know your body. Right. Because if it can if it can happen to anybody, you need to know yourself. You need to be prepared. You need to talk to your doctors. You need right. to do your monthly self-exams and know yourself. And then there are the mammograms. Because mine showed up on a mammogram. I didn't feel it. There was no lump there. It was calcifications. But, you know, had I not gone for my mammogram that year for whatever reason, and it continued to grow, there's no telling where I would be right now. If you had waited. If I had waited. And that is scary. Right. Be your number one advocate. Go to the doctor. Do Take care of you. Right. Know this is a thing. Know that you don't have to have family history and take care of you. Exactly. This is my favorite question, and I know you've heard it because you've listened to other podcast episodes, and this is my favorite, so I'll end on this. What would you like women diagnosed tomorrow who are listening to walk away knowing from this podcast? I think it's important to know that if you find yourself in a dark place, that trying to deal with the emotions, and you can't find anyone that who went through that who has those similar emotions just to keep looking until you find that person. Because once you do, then you can have someone you can share that with. I mean, there are plenty of people you can share certain things with, but it really wasn't until I had that conversation with you that I felt like I was a normal person. I felt like, you know, I was being way too emotional over it, you know, and that it, it wasn't normal, that mine was DCIS. And there are other people out there with a lot worse situations. But you know that I have spoken to women, too, who are living with metastatic breast cancer who will also try to deny their own emotions as well. They'll flip it and they'll say, well, 
I can't imagine them. Like, I like at least I'm older or I'm more this or I'm more that. But how could it possibly happen to them? They have it worse because maybe they're younger or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I've heard it from DCIS mm-hmm. all the way up to living with metastatic breast cancer. Everywhere in between, mm-hmm. women are trying to deny themselves their own emotions mm-hmm. or their own stories. Mm-hmm. And don't, don't do that because mm-hmm. it, this, and I know I told you this too, but mm-hmm. this has happened to your body your mind, Mm -hmm. your soul, and it matters. Mm -hmm. You matter, Mm -hmm. and your emotions matter. Right. So I think it's important to find someone you can connect with. Yeah. Find your people. That's what I keep saying. Find your people. And they're out there. They are. are, And, you know, there's some great support groups that are online as well. And you can always reach out to your local Coleman affiliate, and maybe they can hook you up with a survivor ambassador that can connect you somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Very happy to have you with us. Thanks. And thank you for all of y'all at home listening. If you're liking our Keepers of the Flame podcast episodes, please hit subscribe and share with family and friends. Until next time, remember that together we weather this storm. You are never alone.